You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 8 of Turning to the Mystics, where we've been turning to the German mystic, Mechthild of Magdeburg. And in this coaching session, Jim is going to offer us a way that we can continue to turn to Mechthild for guidance on our own. So Jim, thank you for being here. And I just wanted to let people know that we've put together a worksheet and that should be available in the show notes and that you might want to print out that worksheet and have it with you uh, for this episode, as, as Jim, you're going to refer to it, aren't you? Yes, and I want to add to that also about the worksheet, is that when I'm kind of modeling for you this Lexio meditation and prayer using Mictel as our guide, you'll notice on the worksheet that Kirsten and I put together under discursive meditation, and I'll, and I'll walk through these in my reflections, some bullet points. Mm-hmm. So if you find them helpful, you can have the worksheet with you in your meditation and use them as possible guides to help you kind of move along the different layers of your own meditation time. The idea here of this session is is that when I was going through Mechtel, I read her and then reflected on her in a very um, reflective personal way that was consistent with the prayerful way that we received her teachings, the teachings of all the mystics. And so what I want to do now, or Kristen and I together want to do, is kind of model in an even closer way how to practice, how to pray with Mechtheld, how to uh, turn to her for guidance in the prayerful way that allows us to receive her guidance or to receive God's guidance through her, with her help. And so what I want to do is I'm going to offer some guidelines following the series that we did earlier on Guigo II, on the ladder of heaven, to heaven, Lexio Divina, discursive meditation, prayer leading to contemplation. I want to follow that classical uh, sequence here and model for you actually practicing it for you as a way to help you then on your own kind of get into the stream of this like how to practice this. And then when I've gone through a passage and walked through it this way, uh, Kirsten will chime in and she'll take a passage and read it and she'll do it and as if I was, she was coming to me for spiritual direction. Then I'll be asking her leading questions to elicit from her, maybe looking a little deeper what that might mean to her and so on. So we hope this will give you kind of a hands-on practical way for you to pursue this prayerfully on your own if you're so inclined. So we begin then with Lexio Divina, with the Lexio. And the Lexio is we turn to a passage in, in Mechthel, I have a passage here that I've selected that I want to look at. And um, uh, we turn to a passage in Mechthel, and first we would, and it's best to take a section, like one of the sections or a paragraph. Some of the sections themselves are too long, so it'd be like a paragraph in one of the sections. And you would read it very slowly. You might read it very slowly several times. And just simply sit in the spirit of the words that you've just read, 
You just sit with it. Because Lexio Divina is sustained attentiveness to, uh, to a depth of God's presence not yet thought about. So you haven't yet reflected on it yet. You don't know what it means. But already in opening yourself, your soul or the interiority recognizes a certain depth or resonance of God's presence in that. And you sit with that. Then in the discursive meditation, I'm going to read the text, and then we're going to, I'm going to model for you uh, walking through this as a discursive meditation. And it's, and it's real for me. This is how I would really do it in my meditation. As a guideline to think like bullet points to be aware of this, that's guiding this. As I start reading this section, that we read it, sit with it, and then ask ourselves, I ask myself, you ask yourself, what is my present understanding of Mictel's understanding of what she's sharing with us in this passage or what she's sharing with us that God shared with her? How do, where am I presently at an understanding? And here's where you might journal. This is where you might try to write this out if you find it helpful. The second guiding question, guiding the meditatio, the meditation, is when have there been moments in my life uh, where I've tasted a glimpse of something, of this a sense of God's love that she's talking about, as subtle as that taste might have been, where has it ever been? And so for me personally, uh, my understanding I'll be sharing with you shortly, and for me, in my own life, I've been blessed so much in my childhood with moments like this, and spending six years in the monastery, there are a lot of moments like this. So I was kind of saturated by these kind of uh, moments. And then in reading McTell's words and taking her words to heart, how, how would I then say, and I'll be doing it, I want to share with you how I would try to say it. But likewise, if you were doing it, you would share how you would try to say it. Either just say it out loud to yourself in the presence of God or write it out if you were going to say it, like paraphrase the truth in your own words, like write off on it personally, for you to make it personal. And then reflect, the next point would be on how you're learning to understand this love in your life and what it means. And by understanding means kind of interiorly appreciate or interiorly recognize in a personal way the truth of it or the beauty of it. So that today, as you write this out, you could look back maybe just a few years back, you wouldn't have been able to be nearly so clear as you are now, that you're on a growing learning curve. Likewise, if you just keep going, in the years ahead, it'll get even deeper. And this ever-deepening experiential, uh, experiential understanding of internalizing God's Word. And then the next question would be, what is this deepening love awareness of Mictel's God speaking to me through her, what's it asking out of me? That it's asking out of me to a kind of an obediential fidelity to this one in prayer in my heart, but also in my life and my attitudes and my mind and be how I treat myself, my attitudes and how I treat other people, how I treat animals and plants and the earth. What's it asking out of me to embody this truthfulness? And in, in this enrichment of living this way, what would my life look like and be more habitually stabilized in this? Like, what would that be like? And we, all, we know we're already on the path of getting there. 
where we wouldn't be touched by the teachings of the mystics. And, and so with those questions, these guiding questions, you would then, I'm going to walk through this in a kind of an open-ended kind of way to model for you how you might walk through it this way. And I want to choose a passage that I didn't reflect on before when I was sharing the reflections on Mictel. And this is from a, a section four of book five, which is on page 184 of the text. And I'm going to read this. I'll read the section first, and then I'll go back and walk through uh, some sentences and to model this for you. What she's reflecting on here and kind of the paragraph leading into this. She's reflecting on the state of her soul in the presence of God here on earth compared to what it will be when she crosses through death into glory, in eternal glory with God. She's comparing those two states, where she is now with God and God with her, and where she'll be when she dies and passes through death into eternity. And comparing that, she says this. This is the, the section. This is what she sees about herself. The soul is just as beautiful in her body as she is in heaven, but she's not as secure. She, meaning her soul. She's just as bold, but she's not as strong. She's just as powerful, but not as constant. She's just as lovely, but not as happy. She is just as generous, but not as rich. She's just as holy, but not as innocent. She's just as content, but she is not as full. That soul alone is satisfied, which is here flooded with the humble love of God. That's the section. I'm going to walk back now through this. On myself, and I'm going to apply it to myself. You'd apply it to yourself like her. she did with herself that my soul is just as beautiful that I'm now in my body as my soul will be as beautiful as it is as it will be in heaven. It's just that I'm not as secure. And here's what it means to me as I reflect on it. That my soul is as beautiful in my body because my soul is beautiful as seen with by God as God's beloved. God sees me and creates me as being infinitely beautiful by God as the beloved. And uh, this beauty, this God-given godly beauty of my soul, my interiority, is God's gift to me. And it isn't just notice, she says, it is as beautiful as being in heaven, but I'm not as secure. That is, I know this is true in faith because Jesus told me so. I opened the Gospels and Jesus told me so. I know this is true. But I'm not as secure as I'll be in heaven. See, I know it, but there's other things going on. It's a little shaky sometimes, <laughs> especially things that happen during the day like this. But notice there's something else that strikes me about the text. She doesn't say the soul, on the other hand, is just as beautiful as she will be in heaven, but she just as beautiful as she is in heaven. So in some sense, I already am in heaven. I already am in God, hidden with Christ and God forever. And going off from God here in this moment, I haven't left God. And furthermore, it isn't just that I'll be 
as beautiful as they will be in heaven, but also I'm in kind of a celestial beauty in my body. But it's not as, it's not as secure because it's hidden from me. It's true, but it's not yet. It shimmers and shines there, but it's hidden from me. I'm, I'll do one more couplet. I'll just do one more in this section to model this. She's just as bold, but she's not as strong. And by this, it seems to me clearly, it doesn't mean bold as in brazen or brash or presumptuous with God, but rather bold in how God invites me to be so comfortable with God. God wants me to be bold and at ease with God as God's beloved. And so I'm bold in a kind of a paradoxical, mysterious way like this. It's just, it's homey and close and comfortable, like one dear friend with another forever, like a field with no stones in it. We're just together like this, together. But just as bold, but not as strong. I'm not as strongly bold. That is, I, I, I know I'm comfortable in being with you because you invite and want me to be comfortable with you. That's why you created me, to be very comfortable with you forever. It's just that I'm not, I'm not as strongly comfortable because I'm still a little shaky, because I'm still relying or measuring up to the extent I'm measuring up to or being true to this in my life like this. And so what I would do then if I were practicing this and practice, I would walk in that way through the couplets, through the whole section. I would journal out each one if I was so inclined, like an unhurried, quiet, prayerful, reflective thing. Then... And sitting with this and taking this in, the prayer, my prayer, is from the heart center where I ask God to help me with this. And so I say to God in prayer, I I can't grow closer to you in this way unless you help me grow closer to you in this way. Help me and guide me in this. And so that prayer is the constancy of this asking God to... uh, deepen the experiential intimacy of being with God in this way. And then, as I go on in this way, I realize there's moments, here's the contemplation part. I realize that there are certain moments where I'm inclined, I'm inclined in my heart to pause and rest wordlessly in the presence of God, in God's oneness with me beyond words, and to let myself, as I sit with it, being taken by God beyond words. It's like resting wordlessly in the presence of God, wordlessly resting in me, unexplainably. And this might happen at the end, where I would invite it. See, I would just sit very, very quiet in a stance of attentiveness, inviting it. But it might be, here's another subtle thing for me, I think is important. You know, sometimes, when two people that love each other very much are having an intimate conversation. It's really true that the, 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 the shared sense of intimacy, they do fall silent. But sometimes they don't. But the rhythm of the words embody the silence of love that the words cannot adequately express. So you may notice this contemplative resting in the rhythm of the words themselves. Or you may also notice you're inclined to sit in the silence of this oneness with God beyond words. And lastly, as you end the session, 
that you would ask God for the grace not to break the thread of this sensitivity as we go through the day. Asking God for the grace to catch glimmers or little touches of God's infinite oneness with me, it is always there. And even though we know it's always there, the thing about this is the contemplative way of life. We'll notice as we watch through this and have this intention, it breaks a lot. Matter of fact, it's, it's broken a lot. But knowing that no, often, no matter how often it breaks, the thing, the thing about it is now we're aware that it breaks. And we can tell it's breaking because we get reactive. We give authority over the conditioned state to name who we are. So how the income, how the outcome of this turns out, what this person thinks of me, how this is going to go, determines if I'm at peace or not. But know that no matter how often it breaks from my end, I grow in confidence that it never breaks from God's end. That God's, God's constancy with me is in the constancy of my inconsistencies of this love. So, and we can also see why then this is a practice because it takes time to be habituated that that which is essential never imposes itself. That which is unessential is constantly imposing itself. And so every day there's the rendezvous of this sincerity with God, where we sit with the lexio, the meditatio, the prayer, resting in this contemplation, carrying it throughout the day. So that as the days and the weeks and the years and the months, all this goes by, more and more and more we ripen or mature in this stabilized state uh, of uh, this oneness with God that she and all the mystics invite us to live by. And so those are some offerings that I share with you on how I read Bechtel to the mystics. And I hope then you can adapt this to your needs this way. And so now Kirsten uh, is gonna chime in here and join us. And she's gonna take a passage. And she's coming to me as if she's coming to me for spiritual direction. So she has McTeld in hand, and she also assumes that as the director, I've read McTeld. And uh, she's going to read the passage and share with me, and I'm going to engage in a dialogue with her, like a spiritual direction dialogue, and uh, uh, see if this doesn't further enhance your ability to move into this in your own life. Okay, Kirsten. Okay, thank you, Jim. So I've chosen just a little paragraph at the bottom of page 335, and it's one you reflected on in the podcast, but this whole section at the end of um, MacTilde's book really struck me. And part of the reason for that is understanding the circumstances she was in when she wrote this. And so I just wanted to remind people that when this piece was written, she was towards the end of her life, and you told us that she'd lost all sense of God's presence in her senses and and on top of that she was blind she couldn't feed herself anymore she couldn't dress herself someone else was writing the words down for her so it was in that state that she wrote this little section shall i read it to you jim yes and is she here in a, a dialogue with her body or is she in a dialogue with god or what's this what is it's this it's um a dialogue the soul with the body. Yeah, with the body. Okay, the good. Body. Okay, good. Very, very good. Okay, good. So the soul says, Ah, dearest prison in which I have been bound, I thank you especially for being obedient to me. Though I was often unhappy because of you, 
you nevertheless came to my aid. On the last day, all your troubles will be taken from you. Then we shall no longer complain. Then everything that God has done with us will suit us just fine. If you will now only stand fast and keep hold of sweet hope. So then sitting with this and in taking this in, sitting with it, and going returning now to the first sentence, or the words in the first sentence as she talks to her body, what comes to you in your meditation? Can, can I read that sentence again? Yeah, read it again, please. Yeah, the first sentence. So it's the soul talking to the body, and the soul says to the body, Ah, dearest prison in which I have been bound, I thank you especially for being obedient to me. So firstly, what comes to mind is just a sense of the soul experiencing the body as a prison, and so like a, a, a limiting place. Right. A place where it senses the limits of the body. But she also says, in which I have been bound. And what came to me when I read the word bound, it reminded me of when you taught on the unbound and the unbound love that she, she writes about. Yes. And that when she talked about bound love, it was a, a love of oneness. And so it made me feel like the soul feels also one with the body, yes. limited by the body, but also one with the body in love. And then she says, I thank you especially for being obedient to me. And I wonder if what she means there is she so longs to do the will of God and so she's thankful when the body lines up and helps her do the will of God. Yes. Um. You know, something strikes me that you said. Tell me, tell me what about this. Remember when she was talking about bound love and unbound. Unbound love wavers and wanders around this bound love. So it's very interesting what you say, that somehow this grace of a bound love and being bound to the body, but we could also relate to the body in unbound ways. Mm. What, do you, what do you make of that? Like, what do you... Well, I think um, what comes to me when you say that I think about my own experience of knowing what my soul longs for and that in my body, in my senses, in my emotions, in my thoughts, there's many times where I find I'm kind of spun out of alignment with that as fast as, you know, snapping my fingers. Exactly. Um, and so I wonder if there's a way that my body isn't always bound to my soul. My soul is always bound to my body, but there's... There's ways my emotions, my thoughts, my become unbound. Um, that's, a, that's very good. And why do you think, another thing that strikes me here, what do you mean, it's interesting, she calls this prison her dearest prison. What, do you, what strikes you about that? What comes to you about that, about your body being your dearest prison? Because it's very loving. It's a loving word, but, but in general we don't think of a prison in a, you know, as a loving yeah. Yeah. thing so um when i think of the state she was in at this point when she wrote this when she couldn't see she couldn't dress herself she couldn't feed herself i can imagine that the body felt so limited you know that that it might have felt like a prison that she kind of longed to be free and with god you know you know in freedom that's very good 
Is that what it means to you also when you think of being unhappy with the body or moments where we taste the limit? What's that mm -hmm. mean to you? Like, Though I was often unhappy because of you, you nevertheless came to my aid. My aid. Yes, yeah. I, I, I wonder, because when I don't do love's work, it does make me really unhappy, frustrated, unhappy, kind of mad at myself in a way. So uh, when the thoughts, emotions, the body strays out of love, um, it does make me unhappy. Um, but then I guess you nevertheless came to my aid, like there's a way, there's something so precious about the way we keep trying <laughs> and and then those moments where we where we do line up in those ways. Yes. You know, and I can't help but get the feeling, as you and I sit in spiritual direction like this, mm -hmm. that uh, if Nick Tell could and say spiritually she is here with us, she'd be pleased. Because I get the feeling that when people came to her, this is how they talked to you, like searching for the words, mm. you know, how this uniquely came to them, which is what makes this so intimate and so personal. I think this is what she invites us to do, is what we're doing right now, mm -hmm. like this. What do you make of, on? Uh, you tell the body that about the last day, all your trouble, you're talking to your own body now, yeah. that all your trouble were taken away on the last, what is that to you? You know, one of the things I look for in the mystics is a way to help me die well. You know, I'm, I'm like, I'm grateful to the mystics to help me, carve out that place in myself that can be with me when I die. And I feel like this is a good example of that. So there's something in her that can speak to the body, calm the body, be with the body, uh, that will be going through maybe pain, maybe fear, maybe, but there's something bigger in her. And so she's almost preparing her body for that. On the last day, all your troubles will be taken for you. Don't worry, don't be afraid. I'm, I'm here and I want you to know that it's, it's a positive thing that's going to be happening. Then she says, then we shall no longer complain. And now she says, we. Yes. <laughs> then we, so what do you think the then is? What's the then? When yes. you and I, body, will no longer complain then. The then is, what's that? What do you think the then is? When, we, when we've returned to our origin, when we're, yeah, when we're one with God in the way God's one with us, you know, when we're experiencing that. That's right. Very good. Lovely. Yes. And I, I love then everything that God has done with us will suit us just fine. So there's a way she's telling us now that when we look back on our lives from that vantage point, things that feel... Um, like we wish they'd never happened or um, they feel just unfair or, yeah, and painful. There's, there's a certain way on, on once we're with God in that way that it will all suit us just fine. So that's, yeah, that's a big statement, it that's, seems. It's, it's a huge statement. <laughs> yeah. It really is, this deep peace. What do you make of this last part? See, if you will now only stand fast, what do you think that means? And keep hold of sweet hope. What is that lovely little ending there? What do you, what do you see in that for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I'm wondering if she's 
It's funny, this is right at the end of her book. So she's, this is how she ends. Yeah. yeah, there's one last little paragraph, so maybe part of it is just help me get to the very, very end of this. Yeah. <laughs> so stand, stand, stand fast with me, um, help me finish the book. But, uh, but then bigger than that, um, I don't know, there's something about, you know, th- that even as you're dying, keep hold of sweet hope, stand fast, that the death won't have the last say. And her body must be so tired at this point. And you shared she wasn't experiencing consolations from God. So there's a way she's encouraging her body from the inside rather than feeling the consolations of God, you know, in the senses. Yes. And you know what, too, if you feel okay about it, if you then read that last little, the final, final words of her whole book, which follows this, if you would read that, too. Obedience is a holy bond. It binds the soul to God and the body to Jesus and the five senses to the Holy Spirit. The longer it binds the more the soul loves. The less the body preserves itself, the fairer its works shine before God and before people of of goodwill. Any final little thoughts come to you as prayerful thoughts? I think in um, what's coming to me in that last section is when she says obedience, I don't think she means like you know, only when you obey God, you're holy. But the, it's like the humility of of a path of longing to be in connection with and bringing this love into the world. And yeah, and so, and the less the body preserves itself, I don't think she means we should be, um, you know, that we shouldn't take care of ourselves that we should be negligent with our bodies. I think she means that we honour that love as a higher, in a higher order. And if we're loving first to ourselves, then there's a way we're taking good care of our body in that sense of love. Beautiful, beautiful. And so I would say now to you, we're in direction together to end the session. You know, if you're, if you're so inclined, I can tell when you came in here, you were ready for this. You were going to read this with me. You can see how, if you were so inclined on your own, you could do this more all by yourself. Mm-hmm. And even maybe several times, every time you'd walk through it, like this, it would go deeper and deeper and deeper this way. And this is turning to Mictelt for guidance. And so Kirsten, now if you would then take the fruits of these reflections and express it to God as a prayer. What comes up for me is a prayer. I might cry, actually. But um, I, I love this line, then everything that God has done with us will suit us just fine. And if you will now only stand fast and keep hold of sweet hope. So that's my prayer. That's a good prayer. It's a beautiful prayer. And uh, so then in the spirit of all this prayerful time with her in God's presence, and in the spirit of that prayer, the touching prayer, then uh, let's, uh, uh, in childlike sincerity with this, let's bow and sit together in silence for a minute or two. 
And uh, then we'll bow again in gratitude. Okay, so let's sit in silence. Fold your hands and bow. Thank you, spiritual director. You're very, very welcome. Looking forward next month to seeing you for our next session. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> you always bring the tears. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Centre for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.